What are you allowing your inner gremlin to speak to you about? Learning to reframe your mindset is a lifelong journey that challenges your inner fears. But allowing yourself to unpack those feelings of self-doubt will bring your inner wise woman into the light. I'm Dr. Jessica Metcalf, and this is Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Don't forget to check out the book with the same name that inspired it all out on Amazon and is now a bestseller. Tis the end of season two. That's right, the second season is coming to a close, and what a season it has been. I want to thank all of you for joining us this season. We've had amazing guests, and I'm sending out a huge thank you to them all as well, because my guests were the ones who allowed me to ask the hard questions so they too could be vulnerable with you. We had amazing women from Linda Biggs, who co-founded Joni, a period care company, and taught us about battling our self-confidence. Which, might I add, Linda has won multiple awards since her appearance on the podcast, so huge congrats. Jen Harper, who didn't let her past define her future and sought to bring a voice to the Indigenous community through culture and cheekbone beauty. Which, she was on Fashion Runway since having aired her episode as well. And April Hick and Marissa McNeilans talked about the tech industry and the reason behind starting Toast. And that's just a couple to name a few. If you missed any episodes, head back and have a listen. Every episode has been gold. As a reminder, with the end of season two comes summer break. You should be taking one too. Yes, speak kindly about taking the rest you need. And no, you don't have to deserve it or feel guilty about taking it. You can legit just straight up take a break with no explanation. There are many cultures around the world that highlight taking time to live life, not just to live to work. The Italians have siestas on a regular basis. Towns shut down on the weekends and no one requires an explanation. The French take a large portion of August off. So do many other European countries. You want to know how to speak kinder words to yourself? It's deciding that you are just as important as the people around you that you choose to take care of. Your family, friends, maybe elderly parents, work, and the list does go on. And the best way to go about making changes is to test hypotheses. You will never know unless you try. And if the hypothesis needs tweaking and you have to run another experiment, then do it. That's what being human is all about. It's evolving. Mark your calendars for next season, which will be out end of September. You're going to want to stay right to the end of the episode because I share what's in store for season three and have an ask of you. Without further ado, today we turn the tables on, well, me. I figured it was only fair that since I was asking my guests the hard questions that it was time for me to answer the hard questions too. So I invited Mary Chan to be a guest host to ask me the hard questions. Mary is the founder and CEO of Organized Sound Productions, who believes in empowering women to reclaim their voice. Mary is a voice coach, voiceover artist, and podcast strategist for podcasts, including this one. Speak kindly, you're listening. On today's episode, I'll share how building a strong and welcoming foundation for community will raise the bar in your leadership role. And you can allow you to show up, set your ego aside, and just be you. Words matter here. Here we go. Jessica, thank you so much for asking me to be a guest host on your podcast. This is amazing. I am so excited for you to be here. And I know this conversation is just going to be amazing. So thank you for taking the time to be co-host on this episode. (laughs) Yes. So listeners listening in to your show, they've already gotten to know you a little bit. Like you've been on a lot of podcast interviews. They can deep dive into your 
backstory through all of that, but I want to get right into it and into like the nitty gritty stuff right off the bat so people can hear your side of it and about your own inner gremlin and all of that stuff. You know, your inner voice, the feelings of shame and guilt, imposter syndrome, all of it. Bring it on. (laughs) So remember back to the first time your inner critic surfaced. I want you to describe how you felt. What did you notice? Oh my goodness. I feel like so many moments in time. I don't know if there was a first. It's kind of like a jumble of feelings and moments in time when I look back that started to have this compounding effect. And so even as young as elementary school, when I didn't even recognize what was happening. And I feel like a component of what contributes to building that inner critic from such a young age is how I viewed myself as a woman in society and culture. And so even as young as elementary school and like early grade school, where I would see other girls in my class and I would compare myself and be like, oh, I'm not pretty enough or, oh my goodness, I'm not smart enough and I'm not good enough. No, that person got an A on the test. And eventually over time, that just steamrolled into something that became louder and more angry and aggressive. And initially I used it as a way to motivate myself because I kept telling myself that it kept me humble for so long. And so thinking back to now high school, I always felt like it pushed me to do that extra thing. But when it did push me to that extra thing, it was like I was trying to prove myself time and time again. So it was, you're not good enough. Okay, so then now you got to go and prove yourself and overextend yourself. And that just kept going until I really listened to it. And it wasn't until I was in dental school when then I actually knew that it was my inner critic. And I initially started out by saying it was my inner critic, but it was definitely a gremlin because it was this like, when I see it now from a visual perspective, because that's what gives me clarity on who's actually speaking to me at that point in time, is this just really rough, hairy, legit a gremlin. So if you see in the movie Gremlins, (laughs) I believe it's Spike or Strike from the movie Gremlins where it's like, there's this drool that's coming down from these fangs and like you got got these claws and these talons and like just it's sitting there and it's like tapping on this service being like, are you sure you're going to prove yourself again? Like, are you even good enough? And in dental school, when you're among all those high achievers, because that bar gets raised. So pre-dental school, you're trying to be top of your class to get into where all the high achievers are. And then you get there and that bar just keeps getting raised. So throughout my entire life, whether I noticed it or not, that bar just kept getting moved. And then I kept pushing myself and tearing myself down even more and more and more. And so because it had been happening for so many years, it took a while to not just recognize it, but to then start to unpack it and start to create that reframe. Well, a lot of your, what you were talking about at the very beginning, like elementary school and stuff, what I immediately thought of was competitiveness. 
What would you say to people when they say, well, a little bit of competitive nature is good. Like we got to have some competition in life. So where is that fine line between the competitiveness and that overachiever and burnout? What's that line? Yeah. So I love this question because I'm a super competitive person having grown up playing all the sports from field hockey to ice hockey to rugby and then later in life into flag football and ultimate frisbee and then jujitsu, like doing all the things. Yeah. (laughs) So I've done so many sports based on where I am in my life and that competitiveness and how I see athleticism, it was never, and it's so fascinating because when I look back at that voice, that voice in my competitiveness for sports didn't necessarily tear me down. It saw it as a way to improve. And yes, at moments in time, I compared myself to other athletes, but I was comparing myself to, I need to move my goal metric. I need to improve my skills. How am I, when I played ice hockey, how can I be the best defenseman? For me, it was speed. So I worked on speed and stick handling came in on the side, but it was one of those aspects of, okay, how do I keep bettering and bettering? So that voice from the athleticism as a competitor was always like, okay, what's the next thing that you could do? But it wasn't necessarily tearing myself down. And so it's interesting when we hear those different voices and when it came to school and academics, me and my own beauty and how I saw that in the world, that voice was my inner gremlin that tore myself down. So I don't think having a bit of competitiveness inside of you is a bad thing. I think it comes down to how you choose to speak to yourself in that moment in time. Of course, be competitive. Tell yourself, yeah, I'm going to do better. But there's a difference between you suck, you need to do better versus, oh, there's this aspect that I want to work on. I need to increase my speed. I need to increase my time frame. Whatever it is, it's changing that component of how you interpret and then choose to speak to yourself. Ooh, yes. I love that. And, you know, and this is something that everybody goes on a journey with. I don't think it's something that will ever be like, 100%, it's out of there. I'm feeling so great. The gremlin is gone. So as we like quickly move forward in time, as you are today, right now, you and I having this conversation, I want you to finish the sentence. The thing I hear the most from my inner gremlin is... What will they say? And they is new people, companies that I work with, showing up as me. And it's taken me a while to step into me being me. And that inner gremlin sits in the back burner, but is definitely not as loud. I mean, I just came back from TED 2023. And there were moments in time where I have prepped and practiced so much managing that inner gremlin that if I needed to take a break, I would take a break. And if I needed to go nap, I took a nap. If I needed to go grab a snack, I went to go grab a snack. If I, There were moments in time before where every single one of those things that I would say, okay, go do you, you need to take care of you, I would automatically jump into, well, what are people going to say? whether it's she's not smart enough, she's not good enough, she hasn't worked hard enough, she's slacking, whatever it may be. And 
it's interesting because other people won't say those things to you, right? Even if it's someone that you meet for the first time, they're not actually going to say anything. So it's how you choose to interpret yourself based on your past experiences, whether someone has said something or the culture or environment that you were brought up in or later on. So when I say brought up in, not just family perspective, but for me being brought up in the academic world and what that looks like. And so taking those moments in time, so that for me sits as this underlying aspect. And when I hear that inner gremlin, I then get to activate my inner wise one and say, well, they're not actually saying anything. <laughs> they're, they're not saying anything. They've got their own concerns, their own problems, their own life. Like they've got their own stuff. You just need to worry about you and what brings your interest and what challenges you to be able to help and support others. Yeah. And a lot of that I hear too is like bringing your, the big buzzword these days, authenticity, you know, bringing yourself to the table. It's such a loaded word, especially in the leadership space. I hate it. Oh yeah. Showing up (laughs) online, marketing, promotion, what you do. Like it's it's always like, be authentic. Ah, I hate that word too. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, it is so overused and misused and yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So what is your definition of that? Like if you could not use that word, what Mm -hmm. would you use instead? That's a great question. So when I hear the word authentic, first off, not only do I think of it as like a marketing scheme and having that science background, this word to me has almost become like it's a step in the door of the woo-woo side where I'm like, what are you actually trying to get across about being authentic? And to me, I like to say, okay, be you. Because when we hear the word authentic, I feel like we're just putting again a new word for trying to be you at the end of the day. Well, being you is multidimensional, right? And so you're going to show up differently whether you're pitching an idea, whether you're being a team player, whether you're having a difficult conversation or hiring someone new. So what does being you mean to you? Does that mean how you dress has an impact on how you show up? Does for a woman wearing makeup, doing your hair, what does that look like for you for what getting to be you is like? When you drive or walk to work, whatever that looks like, how does being you get to be you. Are you biking to work, right? And then when you get to work, when you're there, being you means, okay, what are you doing in those first few minutes? Are you settling in? If someone comes at you and says, oh, I've got a question, is that your permission to yourself being like, I've walked through the door, give me 15 minutes and then we can have a conversation? Or are you the type of person who says, follow me while I drop off my bags and my (laughs) my coat and we're going to problem solve right as we go? You get to decide because we also go through these seasonal moments in time where being you can be challenging based on life that's happening. And so at the end of the day, when you get to be, quote unquote, your authentic self, it's staying true to who you are based on your time, your energy, your place, and That is why it's multidimensional because you can't just go to someone and say, hey, you can show up and be that authentic self and it doesn't really matter. And if people don't like you, then it's on them and not you. However, 
there is a time and a place where stepping in and having those difficult conversations, being a leader, there are still moments in time you have to be able to curate. So you're not hurting people's feelings either. And you're not necessarily stepping on toes. You're furthering your mission. It's being aware that you are multidimensional, sitting in an environment that is also multidimensional. And how do you get to be you in those moments in time? There's also, though, like in the quote-unquote professional workspace that, you know, don't want to show your emotions, especially if you're a woman. Like, don't cry. Don't show any weakness. But if that is who you are, then what is suffering when you aren't being yourself in the workplace? This is such a great topic because I've spoken on this many times over because I have a differing opinion on it. And it's not going to resonate with everyone. And so this goes to the aspect of being multidimensional you is you also have to suss out your environment. If your environment is unsafe psychologically to be able to share those emotions, then you need to figure out what that actually looks like in that environment and if that is an environment that you want to continue working in, okay? I, coming up in the professional realm, there was that aspect of suck it up, you can't show tears, don't cry, and all that stuff. Except there were moments in time where I was on such little sleep, I was overextended, my emotions were so heightened. And as a woman, specifically for me, but I know others share this as well, is that when I get really frustrated and angry, tears start to prickle out. And it's not that I'm sad at that point in time, it's just that's where my emotions go. And There were a couple senior leaders that I am so grateful for who behind closed doors gave me the space to express my emotions and say, yes, you are safe. Let's have this conversation. And there was no judgment that was passed. And so you have to find those individuals and that culture that allows you to be that side of you. And I think we're seeing a shift, albeit a slow shift in regards to emotions, because to me, it's so confusing when, let's say that aspect, my anger turns into tears. I'm not sad. I'm frustrated. But for a man, they get angry as well. And there's no tears. We're still exhibiting the exact same emotion. It's just mine shows up slightly different. When men get angry to them, it's just like, okay, they're stern coming down. But anger is still an emotion regardless of how it presents for each one of us. Anger is anger at the end of the day. And so... I think when we start to have more conversations around emotions in general, that makes it easier for us to recognize when people are frustrated, sad, upset, anxious, nervous, as well as happy and joyful and ecstatic, right? And all the good stuff. So we need to acknowledge both of them, not just what we label, quote unquote, the negative ones, but also embracing the positives when they do happen. Because otherwise, if we don't embrace them and don't recognize that that's what we're experiencing, then they're just fleeting. And we don't know when the next time that they'll come up. So we do have to have more conversations around those emotions and expectations and how you're also looking for support. Because in those moments in time, I know behind... So there was a moment where I had a really difficult patient case. I was at my wit's end and I went to my desk and 
I just started to cry. I was frustrated like you wouldn't believe. I heard a knock on the door, senior leadership was getting ready to come in. And so I pulled myself together and I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. But when you have that lump in your throat, right? Trying to push through, I know people can hear it as well, right? And so I wave him on in, he comes in, he's like, is everything okay? And I was just like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, no. And like the tears just started streaming down my face and he's like, okay. And so he, gave, he stood there quietly. He let me feel my emotions. And then he was like, what can I do to support you? And is there anything that you want to talk about, whether it's now or when you have clarity in a couple hours or in a couple of days from now? And I think that that's what we don't give ourselves permission is that if the conversation isn't going well right now, it's okay to end it and say, we're going to come back to it in a couple of days when we've had a better sleep, when we have a bit more clarity and when our emotions are different, right? And when that ends up happening, conversations change too. And we get to learn, we get to grow, and we get to assess and accurately evaluate what is happening. Yeah, I love the fact that, you know, not just you as a leader, but like your senior leadership had that awareness to give you that space. Like that is such a rare thing that happens, I find, and especially in senior leadership in just the workplaces that I have seen. And so, you know, when we talk about being a leader, it's not just the inner work that you have to do. But once you've started that inner work and you realize that, okay, I need to support my team members because they are leaders in themselves. So you're creating this culture of leaders. So paint a picture of what you're hearing in the workplace when leaders are aware of their inner struggles and supporting their other leaders in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So when a leader has started to do the internal work, and now let's go back to the internal work is never done. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. So the inner work, and I want to make that very clear because as different challenges or problems come up, whether it's within business or in life, that gives us the opportunity to take a reflection moment and say, okay, how am I acting? How am I reacting? And does anything need to change? So when someone starts to do the internal work, they start to become more self aware. And that's building on your own self-intelligence. And when that ends up happening, you then get to figure out how you fit in to the team as a whole and to maybe even other leaders in that group as well. That gives you more of an opportunity to start to evaluate, okay, how am I communicating with others? Because not everyone has the same style of communication. What are my expectations for others? But what are their expectations of me? And so now, usually within leadership, we hold other team members to being accountable. But that self-awareness gives us the opportunity to hold ourselves accountable as well. And this is when difficult conversations are difficult. We get to sit down with our team and say, hey, am I holding up to the expectations that I set out for the team? And it's okay to hear sometimes the shit that comes your way from your other team members. But recognizing that if you're open to criticism and open to kind candor, then that gives you the opportunity to continually grow. So the self-aware person doesn't take that criticism and say, who's this person to be talking about me? I'm the leader. I know what's best. No, no. Okay. Maybe at that point in time, 
you needed to hear what that person had to say. And is it hard to hear what other people have to say at times? Yeah, we are not built to be criticized on a regular basis because our egos can be so big, right? And as a high achiever, you've worked extremely hard to get there. And so your ego is partly protecting you. And we have to become comfortable with the discomfort of having those difficult conversations. And when we allow that to happen, team bonds get stronger. Mistakes are allowed to happen and people don't feel like they need to hide them. And now you start to build trust where gossip isn't happening behind people's backs. And that allows for teams to flourish, for leaders to step into even more leadership roles, to figure out who on your team remains as potentially a team member or has the potential to step into a more leadership role. What does that look like? But at times when we see the company and the organization and we're looking at the next quarter and making those financial goals and just figuring out who does what task and not evaluating what's happening, then we lose the human aspect of it. We lose the culture aspect of it. Learning the technical skills to your job is the easy part. I know when we all start a new job, technical skills may seem a little bit scary. And then that's when that inner gremlin comes up and says, oh my goodness, you're starting something new again. I can't believe you don't know how to do this. You know what? Learning the technical skill is the easy part. It's learning the human skill. That's the hard part. What I usually do too when I'm hiring someone is like, I don't really care if you know those technical skills or not in, you know, editing audio for a podcast, you know, it, I can teach you that. But do you have that curiosity? Do you have the craving to learn and to grow? That's the human aspects. And I love how you're equating human to the culture because people just want to belong. It's a culture of belonging. It's just being human. Yep. Community is huge. And I think where we've shifted in the 21st century is that because of a lot of individuals, and especially within North America, where we have very individualistic lives or very independent lives, people crave community. People crave to belong. People crave to be supported. And so at times, if we aren't getting that belonging, that community, that support at home with our family and friends, then we go to the next thing, which is our job. And I think that that's why we've seen the great resignation and quiet quitting and all of that aspect is because people are reevaluating and recognizing when a company says that, oh, this is like your second family, a job is not a second family. A job is, yes, you can create some really strong bonds, but at the end of the day, you have to also differentiate with how you choose to leave work at work so you can step back into your own personal life. And so creating that culture and that human skill, that gives you the opportunity to assess the workplace culture. And if it doesn't work for you, then you're allowed to make that change. And I think what the greatest thing that came out of quiet quitting and the great resignation is people recognizing that work isn't their entire life. And when we assess that, then that gives us permission to say, oh my goodness, I do have hobbies. (laughs) Oh, I do want to hang out with so-and-so. Maybe I want to start dating again and whatever that looks like, right? 
sure, you can put in an enormous amount of effort into work, not playing that down at all. However, it's also recognizing that work is work and you get to create a life outside of work as well. And you get to create a community outside of work as well. And when we confuse the two, which can be confusing at times because if we have after hour drinks or you're going camping with your work buddies or whatever that looks like, some of those relationships can last long term. However, we can still get hurt. And so we have to give ourselves the opportunity to create connections outside of work and not rely solely on work to fill all of those other needs. I remember too, like myself, high achiever, I go into work, you know, early, you end late and you're just like, this is my second family. That's the way I thought about it. But, you know, it's the doing, 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 moving on to the next best thing and not slowing down and recognizing the success that you have created for yourself. So, you know, it's even sometimes the little wins. And I find that one of the best ways of celebrating the little wins, because I don't celebrate enough, is actually your Sunday reframes. Because that little reframe can be an inner, oh my gosh, yes, I am doing great. Yes, this is celebrating. I'm going to take a second, a minute, and just read the Sunday reframe. You're like, yep, that's me. I'm doing a great job. And it's such a small win to shift the way that we think. So Sunday reframes, listener, if you haven't signed up yet, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll link to it. It's on your website, right? Yep. So I want to know from the feedback that you've gotten, what has been your most transformational Sunday reframe for someone? Oh, (laughs) you know what? They just keep coming in and the responses that I get are just incredible. And the best is when <laughs> it's almost as it. So the Sunday sleighs are time to go out at like 3 a.m. Pacific time zone. So then people on the East Coast will get it as soon as they're as soon as they're awake on the Sunday. And what I appreciate is within a couple of hours, I'm already getting replies back from people, and they're like, "I woke up and this weekend was brutal, and then I was spiraling because of what happened this past week." and The reframe, even though that reframe may not have been exactly what their thoughts were, it reminded them to do the reframe of their own. And one of the ones that comes out to my mind is the one that was around February, which around Valentine's Day. So I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. I don't like to celebrate some of the consumerism holidays because I really, (laughs) right? So like, it's just, consumerism and we really should be loving everyone every single day of the year, not just one day a year. And so the aspect around Valentine's Day, which the concept still holds true around the holiday season as well, is sometimes you don't have people to hang out with. Sometimes those holidays bring really bad memories or maybe you've lost someone during that time. And you can focus on your own response on how you choose to take care of you. And I always like to remind people because we set these expectations and I know consumerism sets these expectations. So at the holiday season in December, it's the best time of the year with like Christmas and stuff like that. But having worked in the cancer world for a very long time, people get diagnosed with cancer at Christmas and those consumer holidays. People 
die during those times. And people feel lonely. And maybe it's the first Christmas or the first Valentine's Day. So the response that I got was this email about someone who was recently divorced. And they had celebrated Valentine's Day. It was a part of what they chose to do in their relationship. And this was their first Valentine's Day on their own. And seeing the pressures that we see on social media and that's out in the stores. And she just was like, I'm going to take this moment for me, but I'm going to take it as an entire week. And so when the Sunday sleigh came, it was a great reframe for that individual to look at not what she was lacking, but how far she had come and how she chose to choose herself. And that's a huge reframe in and of itself because now that's not just one reframe, that's an entire mindset shift. And that gives you permission to then take on the next challenge to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, to say that you're just as important as you choosing to take care of someone else. Yes. I so resonated with that too. Like, you know, Valentine's Day is not the perfect day for me either. You know, like my mother-in-law died around that time of year. So it just, it doesn't bring great memories. And so to be able to see you reflect that and and then have someone share that story. Oh, warms my heart so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's, you know what? Those are the stories that, because there are moments in time where I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to write another Sunday reframe. <laughs> <laughs> it's another Sunday. Oh it's no. Another, I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. They come once a week. Yeah. Like how do I, but depending on how busy things are or whatever, but it is those responses that keep me doing the reframe because I know it keeps connecting with individuals. And it's that one little moment each week that gives you the opportunity to switch from inner gremlin to your inner cheerleader or your inner goddess or your inner wise one, whichever terminology you want to use to shift that inner voice. All right. Before we wrap it all up here, do you have anything that you want to add that we didn't touch on yet? Oh, so I'm in the middle of working on my second book, which I'm super excited about. And the second book really lays out what I do within the consulting business. And that is stepping into organizations and looking at how they choose to navigate challenges and the working way of 2023 and the future. And so from a leadership perspective, from a workplace culture perspective, if at any point in time, you're sitting there wondering, we're just making it through the next quarter, or I don't even know if we're going to make it through the next quarter and what that looks like from a company standpoint, reach out. would love to hear your story to either incorporate as examples within the book and would love to be able to support you to get your company into where you want to be. Yeah, because everybody's just in this transitional phase, I feel like, right now. Yeah. Like, what what are we going to do? It's the world of the unknown right now. So many unknowns, and that is where humans do not like sitting. (laughs) (laughs) Is the unknowns. (laughs) And then our inner gremlin starts popping up on our shoulder and telling us what to do. Oh, man. All right. So last question. Let's say you have a superpower. You are getting rid of inner gremlins. Everyone's the little inner gremlin, <laughs> like the movie, pour water on them. They've melted. They've disappeared. Okay. We all know that, you know, it's a process. We are learning to speak kindly to ourselves. But 
those inner gremlins are gone. So what would the workplace culture look like in this scenario? So workplace culture would look like an equity opportunity for men and women to be able to step into the roles that they want to be growing in and giving them the opportunity without sacrificing their home life entirely. So what that looks like from a leadership perspective, an organizational perspective, and from the team perspective. And so my superpower would be going in and problem solving. Well, I mean, that's already Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You're a superhero. It's it's that that aspect of giving people the opportunity to... Because I can see the bird's eye view, but when you're in the trenches and you're in your own company and organization trying to navigate that, you can't see the bird's eye view. So my superpower is being able to show you what that bird's eye view looks like to then make those changes. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes equate it to like, you're in the fishbowl. You're just swimming around in that water. But for somebody else to look at it from an outside perspective, it's like, oh, but clearly you're missing this and this. And if you swam this way, maybe you'll get a totally different perspective. So that is a great superpower to have. Thank you. I liked our animal analogies. We went from birds Birds to fish. fish. Uh, I use nature analogies like you wouldn't believe. So it is the best. Nature, sports, and surgery. Surgery. (laughs) Usually my go-to analogies. I love it. Jess, thank you so much. Mary, thank you for bringing the questions and being able to bring really my side to those answers and allowing me to sit on the opposite side as the guest. So thank you so much. I'm going to be honest, and you may think I'm a little weird, but hey, aren't we all? I absolutely love being in the hot seat and answering the hard questions. Why? Because it truly makes me think not just about my own experiences, but how I want to share that information with the world. When you have to think about what you want to say, you think about the processes, the information, the message, and the emotions you want to convey to those around you. I also have to take a moment to make sure that I have done my own work in healing and know that the timing is right to share that information because there have been definitely times when I've shared too soon and it's come back to haunt my anxiousness and my overthinking brain. I want to thank Mary again for being my co-host. She's one truly incredible individual and I'm grateful for her. Okay, let's dive into the key takeaways from today. Number one. Childhood components can affect your inner critic, but that means it's just as important to activate your inner wise woman. This takes time. And as much as I can lean on my wise woman now, she is consistently getting wiser by the day. The world around me, the people around me, the experiences around me are no longer moments in light that I have to just get through to get to the other side or to get to that success or to find that happiness. No, 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 no. It's how I choose to perceive it all. So activate that inner wise woman and change your perception. Key takeaway number two, choose you. Plain and simple. It will help you inspire others by choosing you and it will also help you build a life you love outside of work by choosing you. It will build your wise woman and it will quiet that inner gremlin. When you choose you, it may feel icky or cringy in the beginning, 
I know there were times where I would think, wow, I'm 100% selfish and that's not okay. Then the guilt would come rolling in and then I would stew. And that is something at times I still work on. Case in point, um, this past weekend, when I got home from camping and needed to do chores, some work and get ready for the week. And instead the sun had drained me. And so I sat inside with all my doors and windows open and I watched Formula One. And you know what I did for a split second? I thought, I'm wasting time. And then I did a massive reframe and I changed that to I'm resting and reorganizing my time and I'm becoming efficient on how I use my time. Because whatever time you are given, if you give yourself two hours to clean the house, you're gonna clean the house in those two hours. If you give yourself 30 minutes to clean the house, you're gonna do it in 30 minutes as well. So yes, I still do reframes because instead of fighting down the guilt or frustration, I accept it for what it is and then I enjoy Formula One. <laughs> Screw not choosing you. Take care of you, nurture you, step into the next season of you. Who does that you look like? Does that you choose you? Now, before I get to the reflection question, as mentioned earlier, today's episode is the last episode of season two of Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Season three starts back up end of September. As I write my second book, I'm bringing the podcast along with it. Next season will be a special edition season where I bring on individuals who have navigated toxic workplace cultures and amazing workplace cultures across many different industries. Next season will have a special edition titled too. Speak Kindly, You're Listening will become Speak Kindly, They're Listening. Navigating interpersonal relationships, workplace culture, psychological safety, and difficult conversations. In moving with the theme, I'm looking for some rock star sponsors that emulate workplace culture and looking to you, my listeners, for suggestions. If you have a company in mind or it's your company or you have a contact for me, please connect them to me through social media or my email, which is in the show notes. The podcast is expanding and I'm looking forward to bringing you along for the ride. If you know a friend who would benefit from this podcast, please share the link. Every episode will have a reflection question and this is yours for today. What will you do in the coming months to choose you? When you found your answer, send me a DM on Instagram or an email to info at drjessicametcalf.com. That's info at drjessicametcalfe.com. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Lastly, remember, when you hear your inner gremlin, ask yourself, would I say this to a loved one? And if your answer is no, then it's time for a reframe. Speak kindly. You're listening. <laughs>